the angry staff officer of history, warfare, leadership, and alcohol. Okay, Army Engineer community, pull up a chair. Come on, have a sit down. We need to have a little chat about how we talk about our own history. Uh, somehow, we're always letting the infantry, the armor, and the field artillery take center stage when it comes to talking about badass historical figures. Uh, we just sort of sit back and mutter, uh, well, we built the roads you all use, and then get silently drunk in the corner. Uh, as usual, really. We're, we're like the Hufflepuffs of the army. If Hufflepuffs were alcoholics with a severe predilection for explosives and heavy equipment, uh, it's almost as if we're reluctant to get excited about our own profession. Uh, so suffice to say, we don't actually talk about our own heroes enough. And, oh boy, uh, have we got a badass engineer to talk about today. François-Louis Testudier de Fleury, Oof, mouthful. born in 1749 in Provence, France, he arrives in America in March of 1777 with a contingent of other French army officers. Now, Congress wasn't quite ready to give these foreign officers commissions, so de Fleury went ahead and entered Washington's army as a volunteer. Two months later, he's involved in a little dust-up in New Jersey, where he distinguishes himself enough that Congress relents and gives him a commission as a captain of engineers on May 22nd, uh, also of, of 1777. So he's making his way for himself. By the fall of 1777, de Fleury is a major and serving in the Delaware River defenses around Philadelphia. Now, this is really not a great time to be in the forts along the Delaware because British General Howe is intent on taking Philadelphia and is extending all his powers on land and water to do so. Washington keenly realized that Howe's seizure of Philadelphia would mean little if he could not also control the Delaware River as a supply line, and so ordered work begun on reinforcing Forts Mifflin and Mercer on the Delaware. De Fleury was ordered to Fort Mifflin on Mud Island in the Delaware, arriving on October 14th. What he found there was, um, not optimal? Uh, Fort Mifflin was an earth and timber fortification, more appropriate for a frontier defense than against a siege. It had been constructed back in 1771 by British engineer John Montresor, uh, the man who was actually now directing the offensive against it. Now, Montresor has an incredible engineer story himself. He'd been literally everywhere uh, in fighting in North America since 1754. He was wounded in Braddock's disastrous defeat on the, at the Monongahela in 1754. He was uh, with Wolfe at the taking of Quebec at the Plains of Abraham, uh, mapped out much of Quebec, uh, including the route from Maine to Quebec, later used by Benedict Arnold's expedition in 1775. He led troops during Pontiac's Rebellion, was with Lord Percy's relief expedition to Lexington in 1775, established landing sites for Howe at the Battle of Long Island, was witness to Nathan's Hale execution, and here now he is besieging his own fort. How the tables do turn. Now this fort uh, contained only about 500 men to man the batteries, fight off ground attacks, and repair damage to the fort. The British had already built several batteries uh, that had the fort under fire 
So De Fleury could really only make limited improvements to already existing fortifications. In a very detailed letter to Alexander Hamilton, uh, De Fleury gave vent to all the things that he could have done to make the fort far more defensible. Uh, but one can just sort of imagine him shrugging, shrugging in a c'est-la-vie way and carrying on with his duties. One day after his arrival, the British batteries opened fire. Uh, to little effect, he noted, causing, quote, more fear than damage, unquote. You know, welcome to the party, pal, indeed. Just to give you an idea of how chill this dude was, uh, on October 16th, he wrote to Washington that the shelling really wasn't all that bad and hadn't killed anyone yet, but that, quote, the bursting a shell just now drives me from my table, unquote. Yet yeah, to him, a British shell dropping through his roof was just no big deal. During the nights, he supervised working parties to build additional protective works, ditches, berms, fighting positions, and also connected a chain uh, across the river with Fort Mercer. This ladder was done at night in the water under observation from the enemy, which had to have been absolutely terrifying and wretched for the men doing the labor. Enemy gunfire was incessant by October 23rd, but he noted on that day with some engineer happiness that fire from the fort had destroyed one British warship and caused another to go to ground. But de Fleury was not blind to the dangers. Uh, he noted in a letter to Washington on October 28th that a determined storming party could seize the fort since it was so undermanned. Quote, you know this language is not dictated by fear, but arises from a sense of the importance of this post. It is in vain to multiply works of what avail are fortifications undefended by men. Unquote. Uh, it's a letter to Fleury to Washington, October 28, 1777. Uh, I would add as a modern day combat engineer, um, what use are obstacles without overwatch? Principles of war. The engineer author, of this, uh, uh, this is a, uh, there's a, in the blog post, there is a map uh, of the fortifications and uh, De Fleury composed the map and he wrote on it, the engineer author of this imperfect draft beg indulgence for it, considering that he has not paper, pen, rule, neither circle and being disturbed by good many shells or cannonballs flying in the fort. Uh, this is what we call a fighting project product, a running estimate under fire. Uh, De Fleury was literally the best type of task force and engineer. Now, Joseph Plum Martin, a member of the Corps of Sappers and Miners, referred to the fort as nothing but a pile of mud, uh, hence Mud Island. His journal recounts the misery of the siege. Quote, it was Im utterly impossible to lie down to get any rest or sleep on account of the mud if the enemy shot would have suffered us to do so, unquote. He also noted the zeal of the fort's engineer. Now there was a rock ledge inside the fort that offered them some scant protection and some men would gather there to escape the bombardment and try to warm themselves at a fire. Uh, but whenever he noticed that the walls were looking a little slim on people, De Fleury would appear suddenly behind the ledge brandishing a cane. And as Plum Martin said, quote, as Joseph Plum Martin said, quote, woe betided him he could get a stroke at. In addition to fighting the enemy, the elements, and the exhaustion that plagued the fort's small garrison, De Fleury also had to contend with the fort's commanding officer, Lieutenant Colonel Samuel Smith. The infantry officer differed in opinion with this upstart engineer major, and so there were some disagreements. De Fleury noted these in his journal in a way that many engineer officers will find passingly familiar. Quote, 
There are persons who know a great deal without having ever learnt, and whose obstinacy is equal to their insufficiency." Unquote. Eventually, Washington himself had to write Smith to tell him, in essence, shut up and listen to your engineer. Quote, his, Fleury's, authority at the same time that it is subordinate to yours must be sufficient for putting into practice what his knowledge of fortification points out as necessary for defending the post, and his department, though inferior, being of a distinct and separate nature, requires that his orders should be in a great degree discretionary, and that he should be suffered to exercise his judgment. I place a confidence in him." Unquote. Now, by November, the Royal Navy had added their guns to the mix and were shelling the fort as well. The reason for this was that Howe's army in Philadelphia was running low on supplies, and Howe needed the Delaware open, no matter the cost. A Hessian land assault on Fort Mercer had been utterly crushed by the 1st Rhode Island Regiment, uh, half of which was composed of African Americans, and the Hessian colonel killed, uh, so Howe was in a fine fury. On November 11th, de Fleury noted that all the blockhouses had been blown to bits, and all the guns in them dismounted, save for two. He himself was wounded during this time frame, but it does not seem to have caused him to really lose his chill or his energy. Um, Smith was wounded as well and left the fort, so there was really nobody left in command. This left Major de Fleury and Major Simeon Thayer to hold out as best they could, even as Royal Navy vessels pulled so close to the fort that Royal Marines could fire down into it and drop grenades from the cross trees. Craziness. On November 15th, Montresor directed his coup de grace. 24 guns from the land and 23 in Royal Navy floating batteries, assisted by the fire of larger warships in the main channel, opened up on the pile of mud that was referred to generally as Fort Mifflin. At around 11 a.m., while de Fleury was scrounging for more ammunition for the few guns left operational, uh, Major Thayer gave the order to send up the distress signal on the fort's flagpole. De Fleury and others persuaded him that doing so would show the British just how weak they were and to keep the flag flying until nightfall. Uh, the crazy engineer also somehow managed to get a 32-pounder and an 18-pounder back in action, mystifying the British who thought that they had defeated the annoying pile of mud. Sometime in the late afternoon, a falling piece of timber knocked De Fleury senseless. And so with the crazy engineer out of the way, Thayer and the other officers agreed to evacuate the fort at nightfall, with the flag still flying. Martin observed as they evacuated, quote, the whole area of the fort was as completely plowed as a field, unquote. Probably annoyed uh, at having to give up his pile of mud, de Fleury recovered from his fight with a log. In 1778, he put forward a plan to engage the British fleet with fireboats, uh, but it was never enacted. And during the winter of 1778, the French engineer was detailed to assist Washington's inspector general, Baron von Steuben, with the development of a drill manual for the Continental Army. So, thus, an engineer had a hand in developing what was to become the U.S. Army's first field manual. Okay, so, de Fleury, he's good at counter-mobility and survivability, two of the engineer's core competencies. But what about mobility? 
angry staff officer, you say. How can this guy be considered the most badass engineer of the revolution if he never breached anything? Ah, I'm so glad you pointed this out. Because that brings us to 1779 and the Hudson River Valley. By this point in the war, the region was more or less static. Washington's army glared at the British in New York City, and British General Sir Henry Clinton and his army glared back. In May, Clinton decided to do something to assert his dominance on the region. So he sent troops up the Hudson and seized American positions at Stony Point on the West Bank and Fort Lafayette on the East Bank. Washington did not take the bait, uh, merely just repositioned some forces to improve his defenses around West Point. Annoyed at not being able to draw Washington out, Clinton withdrew most of his forces, but he left around 600 men garrisoning the forbidding, forbidding height of Stony Point. The heights uh, of Stony Point, the, the British turned the small rocky eminence, the table of the hill, uh, into a Gibraltar of redoubts, entrenchments, and artillery batteries, protected by two lines of defensive obstacles composed of abati. These are felled trees that are laced together, uh, interlocking, and their branches sharpened into points. A causeway down the middle offered the only dry and non-spiky approach to the fort uh, through the swamps on either side. This was uh, overwatched by three outposts with artillery and Royal Navy vessels adding their fire support from the river. F around and find out, the, the Brits were essentially saying. Well, if there was ever a guy to F around and find out, and the finding out part be damned, it was General Anthony Wayne. Washington had given the temperamental Pennsylvanian command of the Continental Army's Light Corps of 1779. Now, these were picked troops from the regiments of the Continental Line in Washington's army, and had been trained to precision under von Steuben especially in the use of the bayonet. And so it was to Wayne and his corps that Washington turned in July to do something about this annoying British provocation. Oh, uh, did I mention that de Fleury was now uh, with the Light Corps? Because of course he was. So Wayne and Washington developed a plan that would capitalize on surprise, initiative, and a crazy amount of courage. The assault would be made by the Light Corps, about 1,150 men, with a brigade of Continentals in reserve. The assault would, would occur at midnight in three columns. Uh, the first, 540 men, would advance to the north, taking advantage uh, of a gap in the abatee that had been identified during a reconnaissance. Another assault column of about 700 men would loop to the south, where intelligence had said the abatis uh, did not really fully extend into deep water. Always, always, always integrate obstacles with terrain, people. Jeez. Fundamental principles. A third column would attack on the main causeway in the center, opening a diversionary fire to fix the fort's defenders. Uh, these would be the only attackers with loaded muskets. The rest would go in unloaded and with bayonets fixed. Oh boy. Each assault column would be led by a pioneer party armed with axes to clear the obstacles. Uh, naturally, de Fleury, now a lieutenant colonel, was in charge of the advance party behind the pioneers for the attack on the southern flank. All right, so it's the very windy night of July 15th, 16th, uh, and the troops got into position and advanced. 
The swamp was a lot deeper than expected, leading to a lot of silently cursing light infantry. Uh, I argue that's the state of nature for for light infantry. Uh, But the columns pressed forward. British skirmishers opened fire, but their officers told them to knock it off as they were only firing at the wind. Suddenly, the diversion force in the center opened fire, and the night was filled with the flash of musket muzzles and the roar of cannon. And as hoped, the force reinforcements rushed to the center of the line. De Fleury and his party hacked their way through the first abattis on the south, and then hit the second, situated on a steep slope where men were practically crawling to ascend it. De Fleury led the way through the breach of the second obstacle, uh, Wayne nearby. Now Wayne is temporarily wounded at this point, leaving the engineer to lead the way all by himself. The Frenchman raced up the steep slopes toward the table of the hill, bayonets following him as the fighting swirled across the rocky slopes. Now both the assault columns had broken through, but it was de Fleury who first crossed the enemy's main works, his third breach of the day, and hauled down the British flag, beginning the cry of, the fort's our own, from the Americans. This is the signal that the fort had been taken. At the cost of 16 dead and 83 wounded, the Light Corps had taken the fort and 543 British prisoners with 19 British dead. Now, now all told, as far as engagements go, Stony Point is a very minor affair, but it did much to improve morale in the country in 1779. And it did quite a lot for uh, old Francois. As the first man into the works, uh, as the first man into the works, he was awarded $500 from Washington and had a medal struck for him by Congress, uh, one of the very few medals awarded by Congress during the American Revolution. More on this later. Now, Francois de Fleury returned to France after the war and was appointed colonel of an infantry regiment in 1784. During the War of the First Coalition, uh, he was wounded on the retreat from Mons in 1792 while trying to rally the rear guard. His wounds and health finally overtook him, and he retired later that year. We don't exactly know when he died, but it was sometime before 1814. Uh, this, This badass engineer simply faded into history. Now, back to that medal though. The U.S. Army Engineer Association decided to name their highest award in honor of Alt Francois. Uh, the De Fleury Medal is modeled off that given uh, to its namesake by Congress. Uh, the front of the medal has a memorial and reward for courage and boldness in Latin with an image of a soldier with a captured standard inside the fort. On the reverse, also in Latin, fortifications, marshes, enemies overcome, which is sort of awesome because it ties into how engineers shape the battlefield. Uh, It's an utterly awesome metal that comes in orders of steel, bronze, silver, and gold, which gets to my complaint. Why in the heck isn't this guy literally always talked about? As engineers, we should be screaming his name from the hilltops that we, you know, build or capture. Even though we have an award named for him, most people have never even heard of why the award is named for him. As someone who embodies the engineer spirit, this should be a required story for every new engineer soldier and officer who passes through the humid and desolate gates of Fort Leonard Wood, sad home of the engineer school. So, this is my challenge to my fellow engineers. Remember De Fleury. Remember our history. And shout all together, the fort's our own.